Two and a half years ago, I started recording podcasts to chronicle my D&D 5th edition campaign. It's over now, and here are my takeaways. This is Anatomy of a Campaign. No theme music this time, we're just jumping right into it. I am disappointed. That's the main takeaway. Many of the things I clung to as important have evaporated over the past 30 months or so. Some have held firm, but the function and purpose of participating in a role-playing game have changed radically for me in that time. Without going into any real detail, the campaign ended in defeat. A series of tough combats whittled down the characters and the epic big thing they were trying to do, well, they didn't. To look at the ending and think there is some learning or insight to be gleaned is incorrect, I think. Rather, I think, there was an inherent flaw in how the campaign was perpetuated. It kept going via inertia rather than a true desire to see this story through, and in that way I think it was like many other campaigns out there. Most, in fact. I began taking a more sandbox-style approach. The appeal was around what I'd call player agency. Present an open world with some conflicts and opportunities, then leave it up to the players to chart the course. If you've been listening to the podcast, you'll know that did not work out great. 30 months later, I think I know why, and it's harsh, but true. Isn't 2020 a time for harsh truths? Players, and the DM is a player too, remember, they don't care enough to exercise the proactivity necessary for a sandbox game to work. The ego trip of the sandbox is that you, the DM, create this brilliant world filled with all manner of lore and details. Your players, notice that language there, your, your players come to the world bright-eyed and eager to explore and learn more. But do they? Let's say they give a singular crap about your world, and I'm sure they do, of course. The personal effort necessary to recall all that detail, to think about the game between sessions, to dream up plans in their free time, to keep everything straight, it's an unrealistic expectation. They think about the game during game time, and then again the morning of the game for a hot second before real life demands their attention elsewhere. And if one of them started to get proactive, it was cushioned by the inertia of the others, because if maybe one of them had the time to think of what their character would do, they would be faced with several considerations. First, is it cool for me to say that I want to go do something and possibly impose that direction on the others? Will they want to do it? Second, As I have talked about ad nauseum throughout the podcast, the motivations of the characters in my group were very much not aligned. As a side proof point for this total dynamic, I'm a forever GM, and this isn't the only game I run. I also have a a Stars Without Number game going on. It's a cool OSR specifically built as a sandbox, if you're not familiar. If you sign up for this game, sandbox is what you want and it has been 100% pulling teeth to get a proper direction from the players, and all for the reasons I've just covered. A, it's hard to think about things out of game. B, even if someone has an idea, social grace prevents them from imposing that action. And C, people have different ideas about what to do. Hold, please. Time to roll some dice for this. My last 
podcast about the game, I'm rolling up a character using the 4d6 take the lowest in order method. Why not? Okay, we're starting with a strength of 15. Exciting. See where that goes. So if the sandbox doesn't work, what do you do? There is something to be said for just being told what to do. As a player, my tolerance for ambiguity is pretty low. Do you enjoy sitting around with folks asking, what should we do now? Or not knowing how to move forward? It sucks and feels like a huge waste of your limited fun time. That ambiguity is caused by plot. It is. We DMs with our intricate plots are ruining everyone's fun, and I'm here to tell you I'm the most guilty of that particular sin. If you hear nothing else, hear this. Keep it simple. No, but the, the lineage of the Archduke will recall the mural they saw in the Troll Warrens at third level. A vital clue for them to understand this other... Stop. No. The bad guy kidnapped the princess, and you have to rescue her from the dungeon. Boom. That's it. Along the way, there will be plenty of chances to exercise your creativity, but oh my god, make the plot that simple and repeat it a lot. It's as much as they can remember. The challenges inherent to simple plots like that one are plentiful and entertaining in an RPG. No one ever fondly recalls the intricate plot of that campaign they were in once, but they'll remember the saucy innkeeper that made everyone laugh, or how they bluffed the guard despite having an eight charisma. My point is that the things that matter to players can happen within the simplest of plots, and an intricate plot tapping into your world's wonderful tapestry can only serve to screw everything up. I feel that bears repeating. There is no upside to your intricate plot. There is only downside. So then ask the players what they want to do and do that, right? Eh. Some players are good at this. Some suck at it. I mean, who's to say they are any better at coming up with simple, clear plots than you are? Also, is what they want to do a good adventure for everybody? Or did they work up an intricate backstory that they want to have played out now? Okay, hang on. So we're going to do dexterity now. We had a 15 strength. Gotcha. Okay. So we have a 13 dexterity. Rolling fairly well so far. A 15 strength, a 13 dexterity. Starting to see things taking shape. While we're on the topic of character backstory, I'm now firmly in the camp against deep backstories. Having a connection to the world, yes. Having connections to other PCs, super yes. Absolutely. Otherwise, your backstory should be three sentences. Four if you're exceedingly well behaved. Find the character in play. Voluminous backstories are a crutch, and oddly, I think it's easier to write up a very long, detailed backstory than to come up with the correct and succinct backstory. One of the best characters I've ever played in recent memory is my fighter Cole. His backstory went something like this. Cole was kicked out of the war college for cheating on an exam. Sentence one. With little prospects, he worked for whatever mercenary company would have him. Sentence two. Recently, he abandoned them to seek his fortune as an adventurer. Sentence three, and we're out. That's it. 
a little bit of grit in there to help tell us who he might be, and for sure I fleshed that past out more as we played. But to start, what more do you need? In fact, more just gets in the way. It gets in the way of making stuff up on the fly later on. And that's the one thing I said in the first podcast that I'll truly stand by, prepare to improvise. And this is true for players as well as as the DM. This is a game of making it up as we go along. Sure, there's prep on both sides of the screen, but if there is not a healthy dose of improvising, then what's the point? I wonder what kind of campaign I would have had if we had not worked up such elaborate backstories. If I had not been so convinced that simple characters like Bren needed more backstory. All right, Constitution. We got we got a fifteen and a thirteen and a oh oh no that's okay it's a ten. All right, fifteen, thirteen, ten. I thought I saw more ones there than were actually present. Okay, so uh, an interesting thing. I always struggle when characters have like a high strength, but uh, uh, an average or low constitution doesn't quite make logical sense to me, but I, I suppose. So we've got a 15, a 13, and a 10 across strength, dexterity, constitution. As a player, there are two things that I want. I want mechanical effectiveness, meaning I want to be able to do something useful and do it well. So if it's a combat game like D&D, I'm not going to argue if D&D is a combat game or not. 99% of the rules about combat is combat. Okay, anyway, so if it's a combat game like D&D, then I want to be able to contribute in the fight. The second thing is chew the scenery via character personality. I recently got to play an old man wizard named Horace, and man, was it, it was just so much fun. I, I could not have cared less, really, about anything else other than the opportunity to have this grumpy old bastard just wax on about whatever thought was in his head, uh, and also cast Fireball. Like, a lot. Cast Fireball a lot. If no one is proficient in your group with things like thieves' tools or trap finding, sending them into a trap-filled dungeon with lock doors and all that kind of puzzly stuff, that's probably not the best idea. Dealing with the second one, the sort of character personality, is a bit harder, but I think the GM advice in most apocalypse hacks, be a fan of the characters, is really useful here. Figure out what the players want to do roleplay-wise and give that to them as well. If they if they want to scare a bunch of wimpy minions, provide them with wimpy minions. If they like lying to the town mayor, great, give them a gullible town mayor. But don't forget that you're a player too. Give yourself a turn in that particular barrel. Just only take a single turn. So like every once in a while design an encounter that you want to run that's not with wimpy minions per, per se. If you like intricate battles with a whole bunch of bad guys that can stun them and take away their actions and stuff, great, you need to do that. If you if you just decide, hey, I'd actually like a really shrewd mayor who's just not going to fall for any of their nonsense and see how they deal with that, do that. Just don't do it all the time because that's just not as fun for the rest of the table. All right, now let's see how smart I am. 12. Okay, so above average intelligence. Interesting. So we're seeing things start to come together. Uh, but strength is the only significant stat in this character's personal arsenal so far with a middling constitution. Decisions, decisions. We'll see as the rest of the stats play out across this podcast. 
Now, I think, too, that the length of the campaign presented a rarely faced challenge. Sure, I've, I've DM'd for a billion years, but how often did I run multiple year campaigns? Hardly ever. Most campaigns last a few months, a year at the most. And those marathon campaigns you ran as a kid don't count, since having a job and bills, how many multi-year campaigns have you run? Not many, well, maybe record a podcast and I'll listen to it. It's worth noting the weakening of the reward system in D&D is problematic. Experience points evenly distributed by encounter really monster is problematic and largely uninspiring as a player. We used Milestone, or as I call it, the DM randomly decides when you level up. Honestly, leveling up is the most potent incentive in the game, and not having this tie to your achievements or game actions is not ideal. Also, because the game really requires folks to be the same level, it also takes away incentive for individual action. It's like gaming communism. Wait, should that be the title of this podcast? The other reward, gold, feels largely useless. Sure, you can spend it on some things, but there rapidly comes a point when you have everything you need. You really can't buy magic items, and I I would never make it where you could buy them, like in 3-5. That's like a disaster. So once you have your stuff, why do you need gold or wealth, really? So to a degree, it can support a going-through-the-motions approach. Because you'll level up when everyone else levels, and and that's that. When I started this whole podcast, I had hoped to come up with a variant XP system. It seems like something that can just happen, but it proved difficult to come up with a system that was fair and simple. Maybe I should call this podcast The Case Against Complexity, or Die Complexity Die. I would suggest that Matt Colville's Strongholds and Followers offers a potential solve for improving the usage of wealth as a reward. In fact, I think this would be the basis for any game I'd run in 5e next. Let them work to maintain a keep or something and improve it over time. But keep in mind, that's a very specific kind of game. I am also fickle. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. The lure of some shiny new idea that won't fit into the existing campaign. I'm wondering if time breaks in real life should occur um, matched to time hops in the game. Let the PCs age a couple of years while you take a few months off. So less like one long campaign and more like two or three with the same characters. Or, and I know this is sacrilege, don't run multi-year games. I get the lore of taking a campaign from 1st to 20th level, but it seems to be a secondary consideration, and it should be subservient to completing a campaign in a very satisfying way. It feels like a solid 3rd to 8th level campaign, or 5th to 10th, would work well and allow for some great storytelling. And what's to prevent you from coming back and running those characters again after doing a bunch of other things? I mean, other than a crazy addiction to creating new characters, I mean... I have it under control. I can stop whenever I want. Speaking of willpower, how wise am I? So we're rocking a 15, a 13, a 10, and a 12 in terms of strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, and... Okay, there we are. 16 wisdom. 16 wisdom. I think that immediately begins to whittle down what are the options for you, right? Because you've... you're, you're best stats now are looking like strength and wisdom. I mean, it obviously screams cleric. Um, It could work as a druid. Not having a great constitution or one that's above average seems like a little bit of a 
of a challenge, but once you have wisdom as your primary stat, well, it, there's really only a couple of options for what makes that really work well. As I sit recording this, I'm a couple of months finished with the campaign and in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, so sheltering in place, and playing in more games than ever. I guess it's my way of coping with the inherent stress of our current times. I'm running both Stars Without Number, as I mentioned, and Masks, which is a teen superhero's PBTA, powered by the apocalypse. I'm playing in three 5e games. Not all of them are ongoing. I'm not crazy. As well as intermittent runs of Masks, Blades in the Dark, and Urban Shadows. So, okay, yes, I'm gaming a lot. There remains something D&D does better than any other game as far as I can tell. At least for me, it is the easiest to prep and run. The best comparison among my current games is Stars Without Number, and as much as everyone complains about designing level-appropriate encounters, there is virtually no guidance in many other games. Stars Without Number is an OSR. I told you it's a sandbox. It really looks like an old version of D&D, but it has a lot of rule systems bolted onto it to make the sci-fi goodness happen. And I love the game, but it does not provide an easy way to set up a, a, a night's play um, or a, a night's game session with encounters and these things in a, in a way that feels very balanced. D&D, I can do it in minutes. I mean, what they're giving is, is some guidance. It's just very vague, and it's wrapped up in this attitude like in our game, we don't have balance in encounters because OSR really didn't. My point of view is that anyone with some experience DMing can easily throw together a level-appropriate encounter in D&D within 10 minutes. If you have access to your stuff on something like D&D Beyond, it might even take less time once you have the basic idea. Other systems just do not have that extensive support. So as I run these other games and work to build out encounters and keep them interesting, and I just find them lacking. There's just not as much there for me to pull from. They require a lot more work for me to actually flesh things out in a meaningful way. Sometimes that's a bug. Sometimes it's a feature. Sometimes you want that. But credit where credit is due. Nothing sets up like 5e in a way that it's so predictable where you can say, if I set up this encounter, this is how I feel it's going to go, and you're pretty close regardless of, whereas these other games I feel like I set something up and wow, it doesn't go anything like I expected most of the time. Now, these other games have a lot going for them, especially out of combat, which explains why I'm focusing a lot of my energy there at the moment. I always have come back to D&D, but after such an intense two-year-plus run, I lean heavily into these other game systems. And oddly, for the first time in my gaming life, I'm feeling like I'm at game rule capacity within my brain space. So I can handle new apocalypse hacks. They all play very similarly, but I'm struggling with something like Blades in the Dark, which while connected to the PBTA system, it's a game like I was dying to try out and it's been fun, but it just has a lot of rules and systems and things that are baked into the setting that I'm really struggling with. The other thing I notice is that these collaborative story games can struggle to achieve immersion. Let me explain. In D&D, the DM pretty much tells you everything. 
you walk into a town and they tell you what's going on. In PBTA and the, some of these other systems, the MC or Master of Ceremonies, as, as they are called, will often ask you, the player, what is going on in the new place. Who do you know here? Things like that. The intent is to make it more of a shared world and get everyone more invested. Also, it allows the MC to play to find out what happens, which is the golden rule of, of PBTA. I'm finding that this approach, while interesting and collaborative and fun, it does tend to subvert any sense of immersion as a player. You can never forget that you're making this up. I know that sounds odd, all of it's made up, but in D&D the conceit is that the world exists already and the DM is kind of revealing it to you. The DM is truly the game's artificial intelligence, conveying everything to you as you discover it. There are times in the D&D campaign, often with the use of things like dynamic lighting and Rule 20, that I've been able to achieve a level of immersive tension as the players slowly creep through the ancient ruins of, say, uh, a storm giant lair or some long-lost civilization. I'd be really hard-pressed to achieve that same immersive tension in a PBTA construct, which does not at all segue into how pretty I am, but here we are. Charisma. Ten. Average charisma. Okay, so that so here, here we have our character. We've got a, a 15 strength, a 13 dexterity, and a 10 intel, uh, constitution. Those are our physical stats, so obviously really good strength, uh, nice supportive dexterity, um, nothing to speak of in, in constitution. Intelligence of a 12, so better than the average bear, but nothing to write home about. A 16 wisdom, super important because that's the primary stat we have as well as a 10 charisma, so again, nothing to write home about. So the things I'm going to look to build off of are strength and wisdom with some backup on, on the dexterity. Solid, very playable character. I, I have a predilection to play clerics, so that's probably where I'd want to go with this. What I like about it is the 16 doesn't necessitate that I pick a racial build to support having a solid wisdom. A, there aren't a ton of... Uh, races that support a uh, bonus to wisdom. And of course, these days, it's very in vogue to, to not have racial bonuses. But um, it lets you pick something to play, be a cleric that's not normally a cleric, which I find really interesting. Like, um, you can you know, play a halfling cleric in this case. And because the halfling also gets the bonus to dexterity, that's kind of interesting, although the plus two is kind of wasted on an odd number. Anyways, I don't want to turn this into, you know, everyone listening to me have my little OCD, how to build a character from that. Be kind of fun. Feel free to use these stats yourself, right? An anatomy of the campaign character just for you rolled up by the anatomy of a campaign guy. All right. Yeah, that's now that I've said that out loud, that sounds less exciting, but uh, yeah, that's kind of a, it's a fun grouping of stats, just simply because it doesn't have a great constitution, which you'd want for all of these. Oh, but can I swap? No, don't be a wuss. Use the stats as they came, okay? 15 strength, 13 dexterity, 10 constitution, 12 intelligence, 16 wisdom, and a 10 charisma. Maybe you could play the, um, the, the thievery style cleric. What are the, what are they called? The trickery clerics. There you go. Uh, Try that out. I think that would be really cool and make make it a class that normally doesn't get like a wisdom bonus, but like a, like a gnome. A gnome cleric of trickery. So by the end of the campaign, I was more than ready to let the campaign go. 
we'd narrowed things down to the epic storyline and the campaign was never designed for that. It simply became the best option to keep things going from session to session. The work and effort of running a true sandbox was just not realistic for us given that everyone had, you know, a life. We had a lot of great moments over those two years, some epic wins and obviously epic failures, including the very end. Making the podcast has been largely an effort for my self, like my novels. I make the content and I and my closest friends get to enjoy them, um, which is code for me saying I did not develop a, a particularly uh, robust audience uh, through all of this. More folks have enjoyed the podcast um, than my novels. Some some have not enjoyed the podcast, but it, it was very cool uh, examining my game as I was running it and having something to go back and listen to. Like, wow, that's what I thought. What a moron. Will I make more episodes with another game? Maybe, but not for a while. Um, thank you, everyone who gave us a review or sent words of encouragement. It really helped along the way. So as I sign off for a while, let me say... Black Lives Matter. Wear your damn mask. Who cares that orcs used to be mostly evil? They also used to look like pigmen. Let's make things better, and purging racist concepts equals making things better. It's no big deal. And I know a lot of people who are arguing against this are saying, why is this such a big deal? Why are you changing it? And that argument works in the reverse. If there's such a large swath of people who'd find this helpful, what does it matter to you? So let's just say that there's no inherent badness to a race. It's not that hard. Uh, be well and take care of yourself. This has been Anatomy of a Campaign. Now, where is that off button? I keep it right here next to the ejector seat button. I regret nothing.